You're listening to Tov, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, this is John Spirosavet, and I am here with two Jewish college students, one of whom is my daughter, Leela, who I've talked to on this podcast before. Hi, Leela. Hi. And one is our friend, Sadie Meltzer. Hi, Sadie. Hi, everyone. And you guys want to introduce yourselves again, where you are in school, where you're at in school. Hi, everyone. My name is Sadie Meltzer. I'm a freshman at Roger Williams University in Rhode Island, and I'm majoring in elementary education. Hi, I'm Leela. I am a sophomore at Barnard College, and I'm studying physics. So the thing we want to know first off for anybody who is on the podcast is which character in The Good Place do you most identify with at the moment we're recording? You can go. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember what I've said in the past. I think at this moment, I identify with Janet because I'm very organized and I'm trying to like, like channeling that to kind of get organized for the semester and trying to know as much as possible. That's what I would say. I feel like I'm definitely identifying with Chidi, not necessarily in this moment, but in general doing all the (laughs) college stuff because I'm trying to decide everything. Yes. Yes. And how about which one would you more like to be than you already are? I think I've said this, but probably Jason, because he's very much the opposite of Chidi. Very easygoing and not not tortured by indecision at all. <laughs> yeah, I would say that too. I would think I would like to identify a little bit more with Jason just because he is a lot more easygoing and not as indecisive as Cheater. So Sadie, do you have an, an origin story as to how you first discovered the the show, The Good Place, and got into watching it? I think I just started watching the show. I'm a fan of Kristen Bell, so I just started watching the show. And I think a couple of my friends from high school were sending me gifts or gifs or however you pronounce it of The Good Place and saying all the stuff like Fork and things like that. And I'm like, what is this show? So I was trying to find it and I found it on Netflix and I just watched it and loved it. I think I was a sophomore right before COVID or around that time. Mm. Lila, we probably talked about this before, but what's your memory? Yeah, maybe like beginning of high school, I think. I think you probably introduced me. I think I remember first watching it on a plane, like downloading some episodes on Netflix and watching it and then just continuing. Well, I would ask each of you, do do you have a favorite just aspect of the show? Like what makes you want to watch it again if you've done that? I think this is the case with all good comedies it's it's very funny but there's also the underlying thoughtfulness in all of it I think you keep watching for for the plot of course and the relationships and just generally what it makes you think about which is of course heightened through the comedy but I think all the philosophical aspects and just how thought-provoking it is makes makes me want to keep watching I would say the same thing. I'm a huge fan of comedy. So anything that makes me laugh, I absolutely love. And I think now being an education major and going into teaching, I would look at it from a more philosophical approach like Chidi does. So I would, if I were to watch the show again, I would definitely look at it more that way as well. Now, neither of you are philosophy majors, but were you philosophical when you were younger, when you were in high school, even when you were a kid? Did you find yourself thinking explicitly about any of these kinds of things? Not me personally. I was a very 
easygoing. I was just, I didn't really think about that at all until I got a little bit older and eventually obviously thinking about it in college. I don't know. I think maybe you could speak to how I was as a kid, but I don't remember being particularly philosophical, but I think, yeah, definitely throughout or maybe starting in high school, philosophy interested me enough that I'd want to, you know, take classes in college about it and read books. So do you guys have favorite episodes or plot lines in the show or do you have a season that you particularly like you know more than the others this is a tricky question because the whole show is so good (laughs) i mean my favorite character is probably eleanor just because i love Kristen bell and i love chidi and janet as well but in terms of plot lines i love the whole like rebooting plot line just because i think it's so funny every time it happens and like the character of michael his reasons for rebooting every single character is just so he himself doesn't have to go to the bad place and I think that's kind of funny he's trying to protect himself too I would agree with that I think that's a great plot line I think also I like after after all the reboots are done and they're they know what's up with the afterlife we were just re-watching this so maybe it's at the forefront of my mind but when they go back to earth and try to get everyone they know into the good place and you kind of see how they operate on earth. I think that's a great part of the story. So was there anything in your Jewish educations that you think talked about the kinds of issues of ethics, how you behave or ethical philosophy? Was that part of your Jewish upbringing, you think at all, or your religious schools or anything like that? My brain's automatically going to the Ten Commandments for that, because that's pretty much telling you how to behave and that sort of goes into ethics as well so that was what my brain automatically went to but not like do you think like i mean like you look at the ten commandments and say oh that's instructions for me to how to live or you know like oh i think i should think about the ten commandments like is that now while watching the show but now that i think about it i would look at it that way i think i remember in hebrew school learning about tikkun olam and just the idea of putting good into the world i think that ties really nicely into the good place. One of the things I thought about in the first episode of this podcast, and I actually wrote it in a, in a fan letter to, to Michael Schur, who created the show, and also to Mark Evan Jackson, who plays Sean and hosts the, the NBC podcast. As I said, like my fantasy is, which is also like as a rabbi, my nightmare, if, if somebody else did it, would there, would there be like a synagogue or, a, or an education program that was basically about watching the good place and talking about it because people would, you know, seem so engaged by by the interesting questions of ethics that it raises. And often that's not the case in, in synagogues or Hebrew schools or things like that. So maybe I'll go and open such a place. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> that would be really fun. <laughs> Do you expect Judaism to be talking about these questions? Do you wish that Jewish part of yourself was where you went to get answers to big questions about right and wrong? I think it would be interesting if Judaism took a more philosophical approach in certain circumstances. But again, it depends on the situation you're in and also the sect of Judaism that you happen to belong to. Yeah, I think I would definitely, it definitely interests me how how the philosophy of Judaism kind of compares to these traditional, the main branches of philosophy and especially like how it compares to the moral or ethical philosophy in this show, how they compare and kind of like, what what would you take your guidance from? I don't think you can turn to one thing. I mean, some people do, of course, with, with organized religion, one thing to kind of 
govern all your actions, but I think it's definitely a useful place to, to start and be inspired by. I did think of a question for you. Since Judaism doesn't really believe in the traditional like heaven and hell, or even, I don't even really know if it believes in an afterlife. Does that influence how you would think about the show and how it relates to Judaism? Because so much of it is about the fact that there is a la- an afterlife where you're going to spend eternity. It may change my view a little bit, but in general, since I know that that's, it's obviously a show and it's not based on one thing, it probably wouldn't influence my view all that much. Well, that's a good question, though. I like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, yeah, it was for both of you. So I do believe in an afterlife and ways that, you know, I'm not firm about in a lot of ways. And I, I do believe in an afterlife as some place where some dimension of something that's uniquely me continues to exist and possibly connect to other people that I was connected to in the past, either who are still alive or aren't. Judaism is very much less on the details of that than I think a lot of other religions are. Yeah. Even, even, even more traditional or older versions of Judaism than the conservative Judaism I'm connected to now. So I do believe in that, but it was kind of my stance that the good place is not really about eternal life. And I know that they get in season four, which is where we're dropping this in, they get much closer to that. But even the good place idea of the good place ends up in this idea that everybody gets what the original four sort of get to, which is a chance to, I guess, take a pause, a time out, maybe revisit things. It's so close to incarnation idea, which I used to think, you know, was totally ridiculous. And now I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's like, you know, something in there to grab hold of. But actually, yeah, I've said, I think on the podcast many times, I don't think that The Good Place is really a show about the afterlife or about heaven. I think all the issues are about ethical dilemmas in our lives. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think Michael and even Jana be kind of become more human. The Good Place neighborhood becomes just another thing where humans are, and human-like beings, I guess, are like living. It's just a little more simplified. And there is something at stake because like it's not the final station, apparently, since we now know that people could get thrown out or put there by mistake. So it kind of resembles life on Earth. And so I actually find it for myself like much more helpful to watch this show thinking about it as about ethics generally and not about how you get to the afterlife. Yeah, that's very true. I, I didn't think of it like that. And also, I'll put a spoiler alert here if, if people are are following along with the podcast. But at the very end of the series, you also see that even the afterlife is finite. So I think there's definitely something there. Like it is about how how we live our lives here in this life, as opposed to the afterlife. Because I think you you need some end point to to live your life as as an ethical person i had the conversation you know recently with todd may who is the philosopher who wrote about death and who himself doesn't believe in an afterlife but wrote about how the way we believe about death or think about death might affect the way that we live you know give some urgency to our decisions about our short life on earth and that was interesting so i am I'm holding out hope that I might get to talk to to Michael Schur, that that some of us might get to and sort of pick mm-hmm. his brains on that. Not his brains. He has one brain. Pick his <laughs> brains. <laughs> that would be great. About it. That would be really cool. So interestingly, though, in some ways, you guys are studying opposite things at the moment. You know, studying education is certainly about trying to cultivate young people's ability to develop skills and reflection to mm-hmm. the 
more consciously maybe orient their lives. Studying physics, I feel like, is at least a little bit about having a, a bit of a stance about what the universe is. This whole question of determinism, if there really are scientific laws for things, where is the room for decisions? But I would ask kind of sort of as college students at this phase in your life, maybe by comparing it to, to what you think you were like a few years ago, or what you think you're like, you know, as children, as you're saying, Sadie, where people come from and the influences on them and like, you know, people act in situations and under stress and all these kinds of things. Do you believe that it's a goal to really have control over your own actions, to make decisions because of values and principles? Or do you just kind of expect that it's, you know, there's human nature and that kind of governs, you know, we can't really access that or we can't always override that? That's a good question. I think it depends on the person you're thinking about. Like, obviously, with Eleanor and Tahani, it was learned behavior based on how their parents were towards them. And sometimes that does happen. And then in terms of how I was a few years ago thinking about it, I didn't really think about it that much at all. Like I watched the show for the pleasure of watching the show. And if I found something philosophical, I was like, oh, okay. And that was before I decided I wanted to come into education. Like I knew it was kind of what I wanted to do. But at that point, I was almost considering like something entirely different. I was thinking about theater for a little bit because I'm a musical theater lover. And then after doing TA in the classroom and actually seeing teachers and other adults interacting with students, I know I can't really see myself doing anything else. Yeah, I have some thoughts. I think there's definitely a lot of value in recognizing where yourself or where another person comes from, but also recognizing that a lot of one's behavior is governed by forces besides nature. And I'm sure you learn a lot about that in, in education or, or psych courses. Not all your actions are, are determined by your genetics or, or where you come from or anything. And, and I think also that's why as, as philosophers and, and even as physicists, we can, we can think about free will and, and how much the universe allows for that. And yeah, how much, how much control we have over our own actions, because that is a really important thing to think about. Because, of course, we do, we need to have free will to, to think that our actions have consequences and that, and that we have control over who we are in our actions. Absolutely. I think having control of your own actions is probably the most important thing. And then eventually realizing that, oh, this is what I want to do. This is actually who I am supposed to be, as opposed to saying that when you're young. Because when you're young, you don't really know. And then when you get to college, you start to figure that out for yourself. And me seeing the students that I'm working with the past couple of weeks that I've been a teacher assistant, you really see that come into play. You see the idea of nature versus nurture in a way. Like you, you can kind of tell that there's something going on if a kid is acting out and they don't usually act out. Right. Yeah. No, I remember learning in psychology. It it is kind of surprising how how much of your personality is governed by nature, but of course, like so much of it is about all kinds of other factors and you can't you can't just discount those. So let's dive into the episode. And why don't you guys give us the summary, Sadie and Leela? Right. Chapter 44, Employee of the Bear Me, written by Joe Mandy and directed by Beth McCarthy Miller. Jan is being held at the bad place, guarded by Vicky wearing a Michael suit. 
On the way to rescue her, Michael returns all of Jason's memories as well, as he had already for Eleanor and Tommy. But Michael is dismayed when Jason still has no good ideas for infiltrating the bad place. Without Janet, Derek tries to manage the neighborhood's simulated humans, but quickly becomes overwhelmed, so Eleanor assigns Tahani to entertain the new humans at an isolated lake house. Chidi would prefer to stay at home and read, but Eleanor convinces him to try new experiences and join others at the lake. Arriving at Demon Con, a convention in the bad place, Michael and Jason interrupt Sean's presentation, which bemoans that humans are becoming desensitized towards their, own, their old methods of torture. They say they are actually Vicky and Glenn in costumes. They dupe Sean into accepting that they are part of his presentation, so he brings out Janet so they can demonstrate. But the real Vicky arrives in a Michael suit and reveals their ruse. Michael uses the goo gun on Vicky and they escape. Tahani frets that everyone else, including Derek, has an important role, but throwing parties is her only skill. Eleanor counters that right now, Tahani's shepherding of the human social relationships is literally the most important thing in the universe. All right. So what made you guys laugh in this episode? For me, it was just Jason the whole entire time. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's my favorite character in terms of comedy during the show. Especially when Michael gives all his memories back and like three seconds later, he's like, wait, I forgot them. Can I have them back? Yeah, can I have them back? <laughs> that was very funny. I, I liked when, when they were talking on their way in and, and Jason said, what if all this time apart has changed me and Janet's relationship? And, <laughs> and then Michael says, yeah, for me, it's scary that we're standing in the birthplace of evil, surrounded by billions of demons who want to destroy us. And Jason says... Mm, I guess we both have things we're scared of. <laughs> That's kind of nice, though. I feel yeah. like, I don't know. He he has his priority priorities. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they all do. Yeah, it's a very positive way of looking at that. <laughs> it's kind of parallel. I recorded the conversation for the next episode yesterday, the day mm. before we're kind of recording this, and we kind of ended up talking about the contrast between those two perspectives on, you know, the, the up close and the, the zooming out. But that was a funny line. They had another thing there too, I think, because what is it as they're going there? And Michael says something like, what, as they're going to go into the bad place, what echoes of this former self await me here? And Jason says, I feel you. It was always hard for me to go back to my old high school. Also the junkyard machine crushed it into <laughs> tiny cubes. And Michael I says, always- if you get out of What'd you say? Oh, I was just going to say, I always enjoy the lore of Jason and Eleanor's past life that the writers throw in. I feel like they definitely have fun with that. Because they usually just throw in those two. Like they, they don't really mention Chidi or Tahani's past mm-hmm. life. It's usually just Eleanor or Jason. Right. Yes, yes. But that's more funny compared to Eleanor's uh, awful, vicious, you know, parents and Camilla stuff. I love how afterwards, Michael is like, if we get out of here alive, remind me to re-erase your teen year. What else What else did you guys laugh at? Janet always makes me laugh. So when Janet sees Jason, she's like, she like realizes it's him right off the bat. So I was like, there we go. Classic Janet knows everything. Also, when she's like sassing the people in the bad place, I think it's very funny just acting wise because she is like this kind of robot-esque person but she she manages to throw some shade at them (laughs) she's good at that (laughs) i like that they in back at home they use bad janet as like a bottle opener use her ear (laughs) oh yeah eleanor he's yeah (laughs) because where what is she she's like tied to the 
the door of the fridge or a fridge or something. Yeah. There's (laughs) when they're talking about Eleanor and Tahani about the lake house and there's like, of course, I'd never serve finger sandwiches at a lake house. I mean, what am I Welsh? And, and <laughs> right you, like, you know, <laughs> is she though? I don't think she is, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't believe so. She <laughs> could very well be. Who knows? <laughs> I feel I feel a little weird saying this in the presence of younger people, but in Sean's presentation, they're at Demon Con, which is great. Have any of you have either of you ever been to any of those? Like I Comic went to Comic Con or... in November. Yeah. Cool. What's it like? It's fun. You see a lot of people in cosplay. You see a lot of people in costumes, which is really, really cool. There's always celebrities there as well. For different. I have not. <laughs> <laughs> it would appear, actually, if I remember right, and I just watched the episode again this morning, so I should remember, that the demons in the audience at Demon Con are, like, dressed in regular suits and clothes, I think. I don't know. Oddly, not. <laughs> Does it remind you of your conferences in any way? Well, the only conference I go to is one that even though it's usually at like a fancy conference center, and this is the Wexner conference, which we sometimes refer to on the podcast, is that it's like it's like a camp atmosphere, but at a nice conference mm-hmm. center. So we dress down. Sean says, sure, the first time someone gets butthole spiders, he's miserable, but soon the humans get used to it. And worse, the spiders get bored, which I thought was like, oh, such that a great, was- like, you just like wait a little beat and then like you get that. I, I always have this imagining that those are the kinds of lines that the writers are like, yeah. The, the word the word choice in this show is, oh my God, always. <laughs> That's a lot to unpack though. Like he uh-huh. does not care about the humans and he just wants to torture them, but he cares about the boredom <laughs> of the spiders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> unpack why you care about the boredom of the spiders. <laughs> I went down a, a mini rabbit hole around this you demand now dog thing, which apparently is a is a meme about which kinds of things I only know because of you, Leela. But do you, do you, did you guys know what that is referring to? I don't. I no. didn't. No. There is this exchange where Tahani says to Eleanor, absolutely, I feel very confident with you in charge. In the words of my godfather, acting in what can only be described in hindsight as his most problematic role, you demand now, dog. And Eleanor says, as always, thank you for finding the quickest possible way to say things, which I thought was a great, a great mm-hmm. line. Oh, re- yeah, yeah. I never, I hadn't really thought about it that way. The extended, as, as Leela can attest, I'm long-winded. But apparently there was this movie, Sean Connery, who is apparently Tahani's godfather. There was a lot of stuff. You really have to like stop and do research. If you like, I did not know that Sean Connery was in this movie called Finding Forrester, which has to do with like a teacher mentor person, but it turns out he might be racist. So I guess that was what the problematic, <laughs> the problematic role issue was. Oh yeah. I loved when Chidi was just, so incredibly happy about like the the puzzle and he was like and it's like homework which is even better and that was, <laughs> he was so excited for that which is kind of sad because it didn't actually exist but I don't know if he ever found that out <laughs> I love anytime he interacts with Eleanor yeah that's kind of a Hermione Granger moment you're you're calling out yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm remembering where and what, which, where, which of the Harry Potter movies where they cancel finals and everybody's cheering except Hermione. <laughs> Second one. <laughs> when Chidi says, I'm not a new experience kind of guy. I mean, my comfort zone is basically like that chair. And honestly, the arms are a little sharp. <laughs> that was a good one. 
did did we ever did it ever like cut to the chair was it like like what did the chair even look like do we know oh god we'll have to look at that his apartment's full of like cushy chairs so i think that was like very funny <laughs> yes that was the, the other thing i like and this is again me as the baseball fan i don't know if they caught this is that it was a great tahani episode obviously big focus which we're talking about where she says oh, what is it that you americans say insert me coachman yes um, and like, <laughs> <laughs> me and coach <laughs> And Eleanor just being horrified. <laughs> I like your Tahani impression, by the way. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty bad. Good. Yes. I'm Spot going on. to, and I'm going to blip in here the, the Put Me in Coach song, which is one of my favorites. <laughs> Takes me back to when I was closer to your ages. <laughs> Well, one of the reasons I thought this was the episode that the three of us should talk about is because there's a theme here that kind of goes through a few places in the episode. So I'll tell you kind of the Jewish teaching and see if it resonates to you in this episode. But there's this famous teaching that we've referred to from the podcast before, but that's why it's great to get a new a new take on it from you guys as college students. There's a saying that is attributed to Reb Zusia of Hanapol, who's a Hasidic Rebbe, who says, when I arrive at the world to come, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses, but why were you not Zusia? And it's this teaching about who are you supposed to be as opposed to, to being someone else. And that really came to me, particularly in that last conversation between Eleanor and Tahani, where Tahani's talking about, like, she said several times through the episode, like everyone else has like a job and you're, all you're doing is asking me to plan parties and that's so unimportant. And Eleanor tells her, no, actually, what that's your jam. And right now that's literally the most important thing in the universe to do. But I was kind of wondering if you resonated to that, to that quote or that theme across the episode at all. Yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, no, that that definitely resonates, especially in college. Everyone is on such a unique path and, and it can be tempting to compare yourself to others and think, why am I not doing what they're doing? But I think, yeah, kind of what you can take from this episode is your own unique skill set, even though it might not seem important to you if you're comparing it to something just completely different and applicable in different situations that can be very important and worthwhile. So funny enough, I was just coming off of a Zoom for a philosophy class that I happened to be taking, one of our core requirements, and we did a whole roundtable on who we are. And it's I think it's important to identify specifically with who you are and find those things that if someone asked you the question, who are you? You can think a little bit philosophically and answer that question with what you actually identify with and not just giving something, say, your name. And I think like Leela said also, everyone in college is also on a different path, whether that's your major, minor, or the school you're going to. So I think that's important to emphasize as well. I thought that in this episode, it played off in a bunch of different ways. One is that on their way into the bad place, Michael as you say, gives Jason back his memories. And what he seems to take from that is his basic thing of you can solve anything by throwing a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> and, and then as you're saying, Michael has that idea that maybe he should erase <laughs> Jason's, certain parts of Jason's memory. But then it, it occurred to me this last rewatch through that exactly what Michael does in order to get out of there is basically throw a Molotov cocktail. He goes Vicky, which is totally a, a Jason move. And... Uh. 
I thought that was a really interesting, that there are all kinds of things. And even this whole issue of with, you know, the Michael and the Vicky is dressed up as Michael. It kind of messes a little bit with this, who are you? Like, who do you look like versus who you are? I thought that was so interesting, that scene, because I think Vicky definitely did that on purpose. Like she, she zipped up the Michael suit and was talking to him as Michael. And, and that was kind of a moment of like growth for Michael that he was like, no, I'm not going to listen. And yeah, shoots her too. <laughs> Vicky trying to get into character too I think was actually really funny also because I mean I do theater and all that kind of stuff so that's pretty relatable too you need to be able to get into character of who you're playing in a show yes (laughs) I love all her acting process moments and how it disgusts everyone around her we don't need to see your acting process (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the two of you who are who are actors, it's interesting because one of the ways we experiment with who we are might be to play roles or to, I guess when you're an actor, you like consciously say, this is not me, or do you say this is a way of like exploring me in a different way? For me, it depends on the show that I'm doing. Like I have five characters that I play that I can relate to and others that I'm like, yeah, that's not me at all. I agree. Yeah, but I think you can always find some part of yourself to to illuminate a part of the the character or or bring something unique to your performance because I think that is what theater is kind of about. So I think this thing with Ribzusia about trying to be you, trying to be Zusia and not someone else is also kind of explored in the show because you know our characters are by, by definition evolving and you know, you have some of them. And I think in this episode, it's like Michael, who is, he's talking to a group of people who he, he's going to a place where he used to feel very much at home. And now he's saying, it's hard for me to be there because, you know, what what's, what's the line there? What echoes of this former self, you know, await me? Like in a way he's turned his back entirely on that. And then you've got Jason next to him dressed up in a suit looking totally not not Jason like and how do you how do you navigate that does it does the show give you any thoughts as to how do you how do you be yourself and grow you know which grow means change be yourself could be like a static thing or that could be just like oh this is my essence you know and that doesn't change depending on what age I am or what what situation I'm in which is like all these conversations that many of the characters are in and yet in order to grow we have to change in the extreme case it's Michael saying you know I don't want to be that guy who was at home at the demon con conventions or the bad place and Tahani's it's saying like I don't want to be just a person who all she can do is throw parties so how how do you know how do you know that Michael's right to kind of turn his back on that part of his past but Tahani's wrong to want to not have that part of her in a general sense, it connects to reflecting on the past and realizing what you can do to change. I think, yeah, because I think we can take different lessons from both of those. From Dahani, you you can and you should embrace the parts of yourself that add value to your own life or the lives of those around you, but also accepting via via Michael that that you should that you can you can grow and you can change who you are on a fundamental level especially especially to become better we kind of see that with chidi and eleanor too because chidi is also teaching eleanor how to be a better person and eleanor is also reflecting on her past to do that you don't have to put this in but the way you were phrasing that question reminded me of that scene from bridesmaids where the new best friend and and kristen wiggs character are talking are arguing about maya rudolph's character and saying you you can't change who you are oh but you can but like you stay who you are do you know what I'm talking about 
Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I think we always, we stay who we are, even though we're changing. Yeah. But if you're changing, doesn't that mean? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is perfect. We'll, we'll, we'll put that in too. That's great. It's funny how people change, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do people really change? Mm, I think they do. Yeah. But I mean, they still stay who they are pretty much. I think we change all the time. I think we stay the same, but grow, I guess, a little bit. I think if you're growing, then you're changing. But I mean, we're changing from who we are, which we always stay as. Not really. I don't think so. I think so. You know, it's interesting because, I mean, you guys are in a time of life that is presumably more change-oriented than supposedly I am. Although I would say that I've learned even from my own parents who are now in their 80s that they still like growing and learning and becoming different, but it's certainly like more intense. And you know, you're not the adults you're going to be yet. You're in a temporary phase because you're in college and you're actively seeking a direction and you don't know exactly what shape that's that's going to be or where you're going to live or if you're going to be a family with other people or, or not and stuff like that. Does that make it harder to feel like, okay, there's a core, a core I live by? I think I definitely try to live in the moment. I started thinking about this during quarantine. One of my favorite Broadway actresses, Sierra Bogus, has this thing called light lessons. And she has, I think, 20 words or phrases. And one of the phrases was fully present, meaning you're in the moment. You don't have anything distracting you you're in the moment and you're doing what you're doing so I try to think about that and that when you ask that question I automatically thought of that so that's what I've been trying to do recently after discovering that during the quarantine that's so cool I'll look that up I also love her as an actress yeah I I like that idea of being present and in terms of being a college student who's actively seeking direction I I would agree with what you said Sadie but I would also say that, that I think there there is at least some core to who you are and and what you believe in that maybe can kind of direct you as as you are kind of changing things up and and seeking directions but maybe you can refer to that when when you think about your career choices like of course if you're if you realize you're deciding to want to be a teacher it's because you want to to help people and and inspire the next generation and and stuff like that and that would obviously come from your own moral values so you know if jason perhaps <laughs> might not ought not to have all of his teen years you know with him in exactly the same way what do you, do you guys think about that either your your do you think about your teen years which are so close for you as something which is like integrally part of you or do you distance yourself a little bit from that I think given the option, we we were talking about this in my education class the other day, like given the options, I think probably most of us, or I don't know, at least me personally, would not erase the experiences of, of your teen years or, or early college years if it's hard because you do, you grow a lot from that. And we were talking about that in the, in the context of like middle schoolers during the pandemic, like they miss that social aspect of like their really awkward, terrible middle school years. And even though it's like bad when it's happening, like you use that experience. So I don't know. I'm sure it's different for Jason. He's not exactly reflecting on his teen experiences and using it to grow as a person. But I think us maybe more intelligent, reflective people can can use all our experiences. No, I agree with that. I think I wouldn't necessarily erase my teenagers because a lot of things happen when you're a teenager and I'm still a teenager. So 
can't really erase anything yet if I wanted to. But I think looking back on it is also very important because then you learn how you can change and what you can do better. Do you relate to it as like, that is a me that was very close to the me who's now or, or a me I'm at a little arm's length from? I think it depends on where in the teen years you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Comparing me at 13 to say me now at 18, I'm like, there's definitely difference, but I'm still pretty similar personality wise too. But I've also changed personality wise. Yeah, I think I think fundamentally I'm more or less the same. But yeah, of course, I've grown a lot and, and changed in my beliefs and interests and all that. So one of the things that I've gotten really interested in in this show that that surprised me is this kind of way they play with appearances and particularly with kind of costumes and how people are dressed in different places. And I'm particularly thinking about it now because as we're recording, it's a few weeks before the holiday of Purim, which is the holiday of, of dress up in, in Judaism and, and a story, the story of Esther, which is about a young woman who gets transferred into a different situation. She goes from being just a girl out there to, to being a queen and being sort of like by herself dressed as a queen, whatever that means. And then having to kind of grow into that role. I've talked about it. We've talked about it on the podcast before too, how that interrelates. I'm curious if you noticed anything in this episode or in other episodes about how, especially as actors, you know, how, how costuming plays a role, I guess, in how people are thinking or expressing who they are, essentially. The thing that comes to mind is Vicky in the Michael suit for this episode, considering she's literally pretending to be somebody else. But costume-wise, I don't know. Considering they're all human, there isn't necessarily anything specific but the style of costume for each character doesn't really differ. Like Tahani, you always see her in something fancy. Jason is always in kind of something sporty. Chidi is very studious. And then Eleanor is just dressing how you, I feel like you would normally dress on a normal day. No specific style. I think that comes to mind for me, the one where they're all Janets in the void. And mm-hmm. I think, wait, wait, sorry. Let me <laughs> formulate my thoughts. I think the actress who plays Janet does a great job embodying embodying each of those four characters, but then they do end up all wearing their own clothes, even though they're still in Janet's body. And it, it is just much easier to tell them apart. So I think, yeah, I think the costuming tells a good amount about their character. I think Janet is interesting too, because she's the one who in some sense has knowledge of everything and everything about human psychology, except that she isn't human. So in in some sense, she can't relate to the selfness of, of any, of any human, although she's obviously our Janet as opposed to bad Janet is taking on more human characteristics. There's this one scene that really struck me the way they filmed it, which was that last important conversation between Eleanor and Tahani. They had a wide shot, which is pretty atypical of the two of them. It wasn't just like a, what do you call it? A two shot where it's, you know, kind of side by side, but it, there was a lot of landscape, I guess, behind them at the, I think they were at the lake house and they were dressed very differently. And also, you know, Tahani is so much taller than Eleanor. And it yeah. really brought out the difference between their their looks. And I think as you're talking, Sadie, I'm thinking that Eleanor is the one who has the most variety in costume. And we've talked in the previous episodes about even how she's dressing in this season when she's in the role of the architect or making the other, the new humans think she's the architect. And sometimes she dresses early in the season. I think she tried to dress in this over, you know, pants suity type of thing, which didn't really suit her. So it wasn't really uh, that. Eleanor's style probably changes the most as opposed yeah. to say Chidi or Tahani. 
Yeah, I think so. And in this episode, she's really in charge because she's got, you know, Derek, she's managing and everything. And uh, she's pretty casual looking. I made myself a note about, wait, oh, I guess I didn't. It was one of the many things about, what was I going to say? Oh, well, actually, Derek, I think is that interesting too, because he's trying to be a Janet, but he totally sucks at it. Yeah, he's. (laughs) Was he not made to be Janet's significant other, like earlier on in the show? Rebound guy. That was his original role. Maybe though, maybe that's an interesting thing to hold in comparison with Tahani because Derek technically is sort of like Janet. And so he has this purpose that he is just not fulfilling. And meanwhile, Tahani is not satisfied with her skill set, but really she's actually being very useful. I don't know what, what we can exactly extract from that, but I think that is an interesting comparison. Well, it's making me think that there is this line where they're trying to keep things together. And and Eleanor does say to Derek, like, do you think you could do this? Because Janet's not here. And he says something like, I wasn't designed for this. But then again, I wasn't designed for anything. <laughs> That's an extreme. But on he's the other hand, to be a rebound. <laughs> he's designed to be a rebound. And so, he, yeah. and again, this line, what is it? I'd feel a lot more confident if you weren't holding a champagne glass full of Scrabble letters. <laughs> but this, I forgot about the Scrabble letters. I watched the episode yesterday. Just like, oh, I was like, oh, wait, I need to watch it. And the Scrabble letters, that was another funny thing that I saw. Like, who would fill a champagne glass with Scrabble letters? Only Derek. It's, yeah, I remember it seemed, or no, maybe it was a martini glass full of olives, which seems more related because at least that's something. <laughs> that, or, that works a little bit more, I think. Yeah. But then didn't he like yeah. chew on it or say like he did it? <laughs> But interesting, if I, as a rabbi, I would overinterpret this, that Scrabble letters are like words and thoughts, but jumbled and out of order, or Kabbalistically, like the letters of the names of God, but needing to be synthesized. And Derek is... I think that's definitely what their purpose was. Definitely, definitely, yes. And he's over. (laughs) Thank thank you, daughter. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but interestingly, Derek has this shortcut, which he and Janet have, which is that they can grow by pushing a button and they have to be rebooted, which means being killed and reborn. I'm sorry, that doesn't really sound like I, something I should laugh at, but that's what... It's the way they do it in the show. The way they do it but in the, the way show. Janet gets rebooted and also the way Derek gets rebooted. That's why we're laughing about this. Yes. Thank, thank you for explaining to the listeners that I'm not an evil person. <laughs> 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 but that is interesting. Like the others, yeah, the others have to grow the hard way for the most part. And yeah, Derek gets to just push a button and become, although he's clearly Derek. And anyway, again, this teaching was when I arrive at the world to come, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? But why were you not Susia? Anything more you would say about that in the relation to what the episode got you thinking about? No, I totally see the connection. I'm just trying to formulate my thoughts. I think it is about, yeah, there are a lot of lessons you can get from all the characters about filling your own unique potential. Like all the characters are completely different. And and like even in some of the episodes, they're like explicitly stating their roles and, and their roles in relation to other people in the group. So yeah, yeah, I think it is about like, and like in our college years, trying to figure out what your skills are and and what you want to to do with your potential when we're kind of cultivating that potential right now. I think that goes with finding out what your major is too. Like you said, Leela, about kind of figuring out where you fit. You might start out as, for, I'll give an example. I'm an elementary education major right now and I might eventually decide that that's not for me. 
or I'll decide that I do want to stick with education. I remembered something I was going to ask you guys, which is that I think about the difference, potentially the difference between figuring out your role in a situation and figuring out your your Zeusianess in in life, you know, and you think about them the same ways, or is that a is that a different question? I think they're kind of different because I think for for the latter, you can kind of think about your overarching purpose. But I think, and I notice this with with my classmates and my friends and myself, depending on the situation, your your role will change. Like I was just talking with someone about how it's not necessarily the same, whether you're more vocal in a, in a social setting or, or an academic setting, but, but you can just like overarchingly think of yourself as someone who, who has good things to say and, and who, who would talk. <laughs> I don't know. That's very true. There's a difference between figuring out if you talk more in a social setting versus an academic setting. Cause I tend to be a little bit more introverted than once you get to know me, I'll talk either way. But even with that, I tend to be more, outgoing in a social setting, say with my friends or my family, as opposed to in a classroom setting. This is super. One thing that I do as a concluding thing is to ask, is there someone you'd want to call out from earlier in your life who maybe first got you thinking about the ethical philosophy or ethics? Not really ethics, but my grandmother for Jewish teaching, both of my grandmothers, actually both sets of grandparents. So my father's mother, Helene Meltzer, who I still talk to all the time, and she's doing really well. She obviously prepped me for my whole entire bat mitzvah, so she would sit with me for hours and just work on different things with me and all of that, and she actually figured it would be better for me to go to Hebrew school at the synagogue that she was at as opposed to the one that I was already at. My grandmother, Ronnie Carlsberg, she would also bring me into shul all the time, and that's how I know Rabbi John and Lila from going into shul and all of that. She was also very family-oriented everybody together. And as I've often said to lots of people, I remember her among many other things for being a poll worker where I vote. And I can still see her there at the table checking in voters, which is such an important thing in these times. That's great. Yeah. I, I remember her working in my elementary school library, which is such an important thing to do is instill a love of reading for young children. She brought me in with her a couple of times, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I definitely think you guys, my parents were probably the first one to instill uh, morals uh, into me and values and all that. Yeah. From a, from a young age in terms of like the, the religious aspect, probably since like middle school, like I've, I've always had friends of different religions. And so kind of talking about our different philosophies and, and ways of living, maybe, maybe that kind of piqued some, some interest in, in thinking about, about these kinds of, of questions that religions are sometimes centered around and, and that there's, this show is centered around with moral philosophy. Well, thank you, Sadie. And thank you, Leela, for talking with me about this episode. Thank Thanks you. For having us. Was fun. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, guys. This is great. And that's all for this installment of Tove. Thank you for listening. If you're in college or if you're a teen and you'd like to have a conversation on our podcast, or if you know someone you think would like to, we'd love to connect. Drop a note to Tove at tovegoodplace.com or through our Facebook page at Tove Good Place. There are a lot of podcasts out there, and if you think you know someone who might appreciate this one, tell them about it, or share it on your own social media, or just give us a good rating, which will help us pop up in their searches. Make sure you're subscribed yourself. 
I'm John Spirisaved, and I'm online at rabbijohn.net and on Twitter at rabbijs3. We really appreciate your listening and welcoming Tove into your day or whatever you're doing. Now go learn more about something good. Bum, 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 bum.